Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Can I get a good morning back? All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Hey, I'm glad you guys are here. If we haven't met by chance yet, my name is Jesse. I'm part of the pastoral team here. Uh, I wasn't exactly sure how many of us would be here this morning. I don't know how many of you know this or not, but we had uh, one, a very significant wedding in our church uh, down south, six hours down south. I think, I don't know how many people were part of that. Three, four hundred, four hundred, five hundred. 400, 500? Do you remember? Like, and most of those are from the church. So uh, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad there's someone that I get to, to talk to. It's, it's good to talk to. There was a time during COVID, I don't know if you remember this, the small little season where all I got to preach to was a camera and I hope to never go through that again. So um, I promise you, I will never do that again. Anyway, okay. Uh, <laughs> if you're on the other side of the fence, well, okay. Um, sorry, I lost track there for a moment. A couple things I want to make mention uh, before we get dive, before we dive into the word. One, it is Pastor Appreciation Month. I don't say that just for my benefit, but for the staff as well. Amy's got some boxes back there. You can drop a little note or a gift in there if you want to. Uh, and then the next thing I want to make. Uh, make known to you, if you're not aware of it, is our meet and greet. So next week after the, the 1230 service, we're doing a meet and greet with myself and a few of the other leaders and other staff. And this is really for anyone who, who has made SBC their home uh, really in the last couple years. So one of the things that's happened at our church uh, over the last couple years is it's, it's just kind of continued to blossom and grow, which is great. But that's made it really difficult for us as a staff to make sure that we're connecting with, praying with, and assisting and discipling all those that are here and just knowing who you are. So this is an attempt to do that. So if you want to come out and say hello, we're going to feed you. Uh, and so if you, you want lunch afterwards, we'll make sure that you get some food in your belly. So we're going to ask you, if you come to this, if you'd register for it. You can do that on the app. Uh, if you're new here, we do have an app. All the information is there. You can sign up on the app. You can sign up if you don't want to download an app. I get that too. You can do that on the webpage, but we are asking you. If you don't even, if, let's say you hate phones and you hate tablets, but you know you're like, I have to sign up digitally. We have some in the info booth. You can sign up there and, and uh, we'll take down your social security number. We'll find out what your birthday is. We'll do all that. Um, <clears throat> okay, that's all I have. The rest you're gonna have to go online, find somewhere. Uh, this morning, we are going to continue our study in the book of Ephesians. Uh, and I think and pray and hope that this book has been an incredible source of encouragement to you. It's intended to be. Uh, the first part of Ephesians, if you have not been here, you know, uh, or if you have been here, you know, yeah, junior high, you were free to go. Sorry. Um, <laughs> or just get up and walk out. The kids hate church here. They're all leaving. Okay. Uh, there's a purpose for that. So, um, yeah, the first part of Ephesians, really, the first several chapters are, are really truly driving home your position in Christ and what Christ has done for you. That, that you are saved by grace and you're saved by grace alone. And this idea of knowing our identity and in Christ, in Christ, in Christ is a really big deal in the book of Ephesians. Uh, and, and Paul really kind of lays that groundwork of, of identity. That's why we've kind of labeled the series identity. Paul wants you to know God wants you to know who you are in him and that your identity is not really dictated or predicated upon what you have done, your sin or the sin committed to you or your particular even culture that you grew up in. Your identity is to be totally wrapped up in the Lord. 
And once we understand that identity, Paul then, and as he does in so many of his books, it's gospel and grace, gospel and grace. And then there's some precepts, there's some commandments. Because of these great realities and this great grace that God has given us, how should a Christian live? Uh, and you know, over the last four weeks, it, the last four weeks, literally it, on Sundays here, we went through in the last four weeks, uh, three weeks of marriage, one big overview of marriage in Ephesians 5, right? That, that marriage is the thing in our world that proclaims the gospel. And then there's these two kind of giving up of oneself that we're supposed to operate within marriage. The, the husband is to love the wife as Christ loved the church. And, and the wife is to see that she respects her husband. And both are incredibly difficult, but we learned that the, the emphasis of that passage is this is a great mystery, profound. It's a mega mystery, but I speak of Christ concerning the church. And so Paul lets us basically know that in marriage, that you really can't make marriage work unless you understand your own individual personal relationship with Christ one-on-one uh, -on -one first and foremost. Every man in the room, every woman in the room, if you are married, the, the emphasis of a healthy marriage is that you would be intimately walking with Jesus Christ, that, that the wives would find all of the love that she possibly can in the Lord, and that the husbands would find all of his value and worth, which is what respect is, in the Lord. And to the degree that you know that God has given that to you will be the, to the degree that you can share that with your spouse. But it's knowledge. That's why Paul prays that, that the eyes of your heart would be illuminated to the inheritance that you have in Jesus Christ. And now we come to this place, one of the most popular passages probably in all of Scripture. If you've been in church, you probably have heard this passage taught on many occasions. But after going through marriage and then after talking about parenting and talking about working slaves and bond servants, the, the, the kind of uh, role an employer and an employee have, now after that, we come to chapter 6, verse 17. And this is where we'll pick up this morning. And I think it's rightfully fitting, as everything in Scripture already is, that Paul would include this here. Now, I want to say this up front. I don't intend to teach this entire segment as I normally have not over the last several weeks, uh, but I want to just kind of touch upon really just the first verse. And, and part of that is I knew a bunch of our people in our church wouldn't be here, and I wanted to kind of really tease out the armor with everyone that I know is part of our main family. But I still think that the way that this verse launches us into the armor of God is highly valuable and of great importance. Uh, and so if you are new with us this morning, we want you to know uh, we stand for the reading of Scripture, not to be religious and weird, but because we want to position our hearts and bodies to hear from God, and we honor what he says in his word. So if you would, please stand with me, <clears throat> and we will read from chapter 5. I'm sorry, chapter... I know where I am. Chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So, Lord, we ask now in these just few short verses that you would minister to us, that we would see the strength that you provide is the strength that we need, that you would truly strengthen us this morning. We trust you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. The church said, amen. You can take a seat, please. So, I've shared this before, but growing up, growing up, my father introduced me to Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was... 
you know, the guy on TV, one of the very first shows that, that movies I ever got to watch, I don't remember what age I was, but it probably ages me to some degree, it was a, a movie called Commando. Some of you probably are too young to even remember Commando. But Commando was a story of where basically, you know, this real tough guy loses his daughter and he goes and he kills everybody to get her back, right? That's, the, that's a good gospel-centered story. And um, <laughs> anyways, I, I remember my dad introducing me to to, you know, just the world of bodybuilding and seeing these guys and how, how strong they were and their strength. And then, and then it was shortly after that, my dad introduced me to um, the strongman competitions, which are still on today. Anybody ever like watching those strongman competitions? You know, these just massive men that like, you know, like David and Goliath, Goliath kind of men, they shouldn't exist. They pick up huge rocks that weigh 800 pounds and they can move them around. And just, man, I became infatuated with that for uh, a season. The idea of strength was, has been in my life really kind of a, something that I've, I've, I've just kind of become infatuated with. Uh, and I've had seasons, some of you know, right, I did bodybuilding for a short season. Uh, I've done powerlifting all the way up until just even recently, just to, for fun. Like, I love lifting heavy. It's enjoyable. Uh, and one of the things that I've learned about, about strength, at least the physical kind of strength, uh, which I think will translate to some degree within the text this morning, is that physical strength, to get physical strength actually requires a tremendous amount of hard work. Do you guys know that? Not only does it require a tremendous amount of hard work, a tremendous, it, it, it requires a tremendous amount of caloric intake. So some of these strong men, again, because that was the world I kind of lived in, they, they eat like 10,000 calories a day. I don't know if you know, like that's one, you know, <laughs> that's a lot of food. And, and that amount of caloric intake, in fact, some of these guys actually set their alarm for 3 a.m., and they'll get up at 3 a.m. so they can feed their body so they never go into what's called a, a catabolic phase. You want to be in what's called an anabolic phase, which just means a muscle-building phase. Uh, and I mention that because as we, we get into this and, and, and we ask the question, are you a strong person? And, and obviously, you know the text isn't talking about how much can you lift, how much can you deadlift this morning. Uh, they're not talking about how much you can bench press, right? In fact, if I tell people, you know, what I bench press, they always look at me and say, you can only lift that much because your arms are so short. Well, you guys are mean. And, and, and to put in that kind of work, that kind of effort, I mean, it requires quite a bit of dedication, even in the world of anabolic steroids, which I know not everyone uh, would be in that world. I was for a short period of time, obviously regretted those years, but uh, the idea of anabolic steroids, it's not a free pass. You don't just get muscular. You still have to put in a tremendous amount of discipline and a tremendous amount of hard work to get that muscle to develop. Uh, and, and yet here we see, and I think, again, it's fitting. It's very fitting because we just went through the last several weeks, we went through this reality of parenting, what it looks like to be uh, an employee or a bond servant. We went through marriage, husband and wife. And after those teachings, Paul now says in the particular text here, he says, okay, finally, be strong. He's basically telling us in the text that like, if you're going to get through these things I've just shared with you, if you're going to understand even what I'm about to share with you in the following verses, if your marriage is going to thrive, if working with your kids and parenting is going to be something that's going to be, be good and healthy, you have to be strong. That's the emphasis I want to make this morning. What is it to be strong? What is it to be a strong Christian? Now, I believe in our particular culture today, we live in a culture of weakness. Are you with me on this? And when I, again, I'm not speaking of the Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of strength. I, I'm speaking of the kind of, the kind of person who actually has conviction. 
But how many people do you know that actually have conviction? They can't be persuaded or, or they can't say, well, I'm glad that that truth is true for you, but it's not true for me. You know that argument, right? I'm glad that's your truth, but my truth isn't that, as if there can be two different truths. And, and, and again, in our culture of weakness, we're timid. Like we're not very strong people. I think unfortunately, and I don't like saying this all too often, I don't want to beat up evangelical Christianity all that often because I'm part of evangelical Christianity. But oftentimes many churches in our culture today find themselves without, with a lack of emphasis of, of sin, a lack of emphasis of repentance, a lack of emphasis of even just opening the Bible and sharing anything from Scripture at all. It, it, it's become very fluffy. One of my buddies calls it gummy bear Christianity. Now, hopefully we're not gummy bear Christians, but because there's some paradox that's included within this text here. Like, are you really strong? Well, let, let, let me just ask this question to kind of frame where we're headed. Like, when you have gone through something in your life, and most of you in the room, I'm sure you have, some of you maybe have been lucky enough you haven't, that's required great difficulty. Now, after 20-something years of ministry, I've sat down at the bedside of those who are dying. I've been there with widows when they've lost their husbands. I've sat down with mothers who've lost their loved ones, their children. All, some of that all was just in, in the last six months. Cancer diagnosis. Uh, one individual gave me a call the other day, let me know. Doctor gave him just X amount of time to live. As this morning, just found out about a very loved person in our church years ago who went through a lot of struggle and a lot of hardship, just recently passed away because of those struggles and hardship. And her ex-husband was here this morning and sharing with me, got to hug on him, pray with him. And Are you strong when it comes to that stuff? Like when you find out that you have the cancer diagnosis, you find out that you have a death in the family, you find out maybe even for yourself that you're wrestling or struggling through depression and you read a text like this and it can be easy, but this, again, you gotta remember how to study scripture because it's not telling you in here that you have to be strong. You have to be Arnold. You have to be one of these strong men. That's not what it says. Notice what he says. Finally, be strong where? In the Lord. It's, the text isn't saying that you have to be a strong person in and of your own strength. That's impossible. How many of you have heard the term when someone, this is, you, you know who's actually really, really terrible at counseling people? Other Christians. <laughs> right? Someone comes along and they come and they go, oh, how you doing, brother? I'm doing really good. How are you doing? I'm not doing that good. Why aren't you doing good? I've got cancer and I'm about, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. My family. And then they put their arm around him, right? No, the Lord never gives you more than you can handle. It's like the stupidest thing you could ever say. Because it's not scriptural. And it's not, not only is it not scriptural, in the context of scripture, when he's talking about not giving you more than you can handle, he's talking about temptation towards sin. God will never put something in your path that's going to cause you to run away from the Lord that he's not going to give you another door of escape. Okay, so God will never allow any sin that comes over you that you can't say no to as a Christian because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. However, God indeed will give you circumstances that will buckle your knees that you have no solution for. You know how I know that? Again, the Bible. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. 
You hear Paul? He's telling, he's telling the Corinthians, I need you to know something. While we were in Asia and we were doing ministry and we were sharing the gospel and we were trying to plant churches, he goes on and says this. Listen to what he says now. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. Does that sound like God won't give you more than you can handle? We were so burdened beyond our strength. Listen to what he says after this. That we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Paul saying, I, I was so out there for the Lord. I, I went for it. And, and, and the burden, the hardship, the stoning that he experienced, being left for dead, the abuse, being drawn in and out of the court system, being shipwrecked, all of these different things. And Paul saying, there was, he, he literally basically saying in this particular passage in Corinthians, we basically was so hard and so difficult. We basically were asking God to just take us home now. Have you ever been in that place? Parenting's difficult, marriage is difficult, life is difficult, hardship after hardship, inflation after inflation, gas prices. Oh my goodness, what in the Lord, just take me home. The older I have become, and I know that I'm not that old, but I'm definitely not a 20-year-old anymore. Man, I'm ready for Jesus to return. But when we think of this idea of strength and its significance, the significance of strength in this passage, first and foremost, is that it's a command. God is commanding you to be strong, not in and of yourself, but in him. I mean, doesn't this remind you of a similar passage when, when Moses crosses over and Joshua is now in charge and Joshua hears from the Lord and what does the Lord say to Joshua? I have commanded you. I have commanded you, Joshua. You're going to go to a new territory. It's a new place. It's a new arena for you. You're going to have to step out in faith. You're going to lead this group of people. I know they complain a lot. They have that history. But I've commanded you in the midst of the fact that these people are going to complain. Church is going to be difficult. People are going to be hard. You're going to go through some, You're even going to probably experience some wars. But I command you, be strong, be courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. Those are commandments. Can I just say them again? These are commandments that we are to have in Christ, in him. Strength, courage, a lack of fear, and we're not dismayed. Are you that person? No matter what comes your way, your feet are stable. But what you have to see is not only is it a command, but its source has to come from him. What does he say in Joshua 1.9? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. See, strength comes from understanding the presence of God. It's no different than in the text we just read in Ephesians 5.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. The first step towards understanding your strength is that your strength doesn't come from you, but it comes from being present with God. Right? If you want to be strong in cancer, strong in parenting, strong in your marriage, strong even in depression and the hardship of the world, strong against the culture that's pushing against you, then the Christian in the room this morning, including myself, has to be very well aware of this one reality. Jesus Christ is present with you in every circumstance. You have to know this. This is what Jesus says in John 15, 4. Abide in me and I in you. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Right? We can't do anything apart from the Lord. 
We need his strength. We need his presence. We need his might. And so I share with you the emphasis of understanding the strength is that it's a command that comes from the Lord. But what Paul is also trying to help us understand in this reality is for the Christian, you do not live in a time of peace. Now that shouldn't come as any far surprise, right? We're on the verge of World War III, aren't we? Right? Everybody's throwing bombs in the air. How do you feel in the midst of that? That's difficult. I know because many of you have shared with me, what's happening with Israel? What do you think this means? I don't know. It means that Jesus is coming back sooner than later. I know that much. And I'm looking forward to that day, that redeemable day. But what he's trying to share with us in this passage as he goes on, and look at what he says here. He says, put on the whole armor of God, verse 11. We'll dive more into this next week. That you would be able to stand Notice the word stand. Does he say when the devil comes, you're supposed to run? I mean, that is in places in the passage that when you are tempted, you run away from it. But here he says you stand against the schemes of who? The devil. You know, there. I was told this recently by a good pastor friend of mine. Satan hates two people in the church more than anybody else. The pastor that preaches the word and the worship leader. Here's something I've learned. It's taken me a long time to figure this out. And, and forgive me, you know, for my ignorance and my stupidity, but I'm a growth in process. But it is, it is taking me a little while to figure out that in the midst of a spiritual battle where I need to be strong, something happens almost every single week in my family on Saturday or Sunday morning. I, I, I got pulled over and got a ticket last night. Saturday night, Pastor Jesse was speeding. Apparently, the officer needed to be evangelized too, so. <laughs> Told him the gospel, and he wrote me a little yellow ticket. Yeah. Now, now I, I know that seems really insignificant, and it is. In the, in the scheme of everything, it really is. It's not that big of a deal. I'll pay the piper. I'll do the whole, you know, traffic school thing. But my point being is, is funny because I literally had this in my notes to share with you that, that your pastor, your pastors, your elders, your deacons, your leaders in this church, the children's director, the, 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 the children's, those who are serving in children's church right now, every single one of them, I promise you without a shadow of a doubt, are under attack on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. You know who else is under spiritual attack every Sunday morning? You. Satan wants to do everything he can to keep you from coming. Whether it's you're too tired or little Billy just will not stop screaming. I mean, I've been here on Sundays where, where literally the parent comes up to the deck, walks next door, and their child's screaming the whole time. And if I talk to him, they're like, yeah, that started when we got him up, and it hasn't ended since. Satan will use your beautiful, precious, sinless little, little boy, little girl to keep you from coming to church. Anybody experience that? It happens. And I just want you to see here that you are a target for the schemes of the devil. And that's why there is this call to strength. And it isn't just the pastor, just the teachers, and just the leaders. Is there a greater emphasis maybe for those individuals? Maybe. But at the same time, Satan doesn't like marriage. We've talked about that in the last several weeks. He wants to destroy your marriage and destroy your family. But the reminder in this particular place is that we would be strong by the eternal presence that God has in our lives. As Isaiah 41.10 says, fear not. 
for I am with you. It's the presence of God that is in your life. And that source has to be God's source. It, it can't be like I mentioned with, you know, the bodybuilding and all of that. You work out and you do your thing and then you rest and then you eat more and you rest. You take your supplements and you do all of these different things. And if you work hard enough, maybe you'd be able to shape your body into something. The spiritual health of someone's well-being doesn't come from that. Notice what the text is saying. Your strength comes from abiding in the person of Jesus Christ. This isn't an earned thing. This isn't something you just exert yourself into. It's something you rest yourself into. The text isn't saying you need to be strong. The text essentially is saying, I want to be your strength. Do you want the Lord to be your strength? I know families that have gone, you know, after their trials, they, they, they look back and they can say, there's no way I would have got through that if I didn't have God's presence with me. And isn't that what the Bible says? That we don't mourn as those who don't have hope. We mourn because we do have hope. And just for the next several moments, I, I want to just, now that we kind of understand, okay, listen, the strength of God has to be found in God himself, not through my work, not through my hard work, but by resting in the Lord. As Paul would say earlier in Ephesians, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be illuminated to the inheritance you have in Christ Jesus. Don't you love that verse? Because that verse is saying, you know, the solution to a lot of what you're struggling through is the eyes of your heart being illuminated to what you already have in Christ. You already have riches in him. Every spiritual gift from God himself has been given to you as a believer. And it's, the question is, are you tapping into it or not? And, and the text essentially is saying one of the best ways to tap into it, it, one of the best sources of that strength is to recognize that source of strength and that God is, has a limitless supply of that strength. And that you can even overcome your own personal weaknesses by resting in Christ. What does it say? My burden is light. It's not heavy. But how do we cultivate it? What does it mean to have the eyes of the heart illuminated? Let me share a few. Number one, you have to embrace God's promises. If you're going to be strong in the Lord, you have to take a step of faith and you have to see all of the promises that are in Scripture and that those promises in Scripture that are there, they're there for you. And just a few of them, I've already mentioned some, but one of them being God has already promised to be our strength in times of weakness, that he's near those who are brokenhearted. God will provide for us. He'll give us a provision of strength in our trials and our tribulation. And he'll give us even an assurance of God's strength in us that he is sufficient for us. Several places in Scripture tell us, don't fear, I'm with you. I'll supply all of your needs according to my riches. I'll cause you to abound in good works. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be your helper. I'll be your friend. I won't withhold good from you, he says. He'll be our son. He'll be our shield. And he'll, his power will be perfect in, his, in our weakness, and he'll deliver us. One of my favorite things in Scripture is the promise that he who began a good work in you, what? He'll be faithful to finish it. Does it say, he who began a good work in you, now you shall be faithful and finish it. Because a lot of Christians think they're saved by grace, but then they become Christians and they think they gotta work it. They gotta work now to get God's favor. No, 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 you were saved by grace. God keeps you by grace. He has sealed you by grace. And his strength is sufficient in us because we know that we can't do this on our own. When I am weak, he is what? 
my best sermons are when I actually think that my the message uh, like like I had like seriously like the worst day worst Sunday like the, none of my notes are making sense nothing's in here and then all of a sudden I walk away and I go oh man I really wish I could have done a better job at that that was really awful and then Bob Stahl walks up to me and says you nailed it <laughs> you know Bob says that to me every Sunday it's starting to lose its meaning he's not here this morning so you nailed it <laughs> what does that even mean to nail a good sermon like Tim Keller says, every pastor has the ability to make their sermon good. Every pastor has the ability to get in their office, study, put down the words, do the work. But then he says, but no pastor has the ability to make their message great. That comes from the power of the Spirit. Which, which again is to say that, that we embrace these promises that God is with us. I have little things on my pulpit here. Some of you can't even, you, you won't see them. If you come up here, you can. I have some things in here like this literally is the top of my pulpit. You want to hear what I have? Number one, admit. Admit that I can't do this. Number two, pray. Lord, fill me, make me bold, humble me, free me from myself. Trust, trust in his promises to save and to and to save and to fear not for he's with me. I have that on my pulpit. It's been here for, for like a year. A reminder myself every single Sunday to trust God's presence in the pulpit with me and to not fear you very critical people. <laughs> Act, talk and think little of self and then lastly, be thankful. Give God thanks for his word does not return void. The emphasis of, of I need the Lord's presence. That's what I need. And I know that he's going to be with me. That's a promise. Number two, strength comes from, as one of our great elders in our, our elder team says, Doug Brown, pray pair. Pray, pray pair. You know, for me, I've had to learn Saturday nights, man, I need to be a little bit more in prayer. Sunday mornings, I need to be praying. God, be with me. You as family should be praying for your pastors praying for your leaders, praying for the church. Part of your maturation as a strong Christian to help, help your church be strong is you should be praying for its leadership. Pray that it would have a backbone. Pray that it would be centered on God's word. Pray that it be centered on God's grace. Pray, pray, pray. Because there's things in this church, a lot of things, if not of everything, that only can happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. Marriages can only be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. People can only become alive in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. People can only understand the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And why would we not be asking God to do the radical miraculous that we simply can not do? You don't have to carry that burden that somehow you're going to change lives. I don't have to carry that burden that I'm going to change lives. Christ changes lives. And he does that in my weakness. Number three, engage in deeper study and meditation of God's word. How in the world are you going to claim God's promises for yourself if you're not delighting in those promises and you don't know them? Listen to what the psalmist says, Psalm <clears throat> Psalm chapter 1, David says, says, As the blessed man doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law and the word of God. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, now that's really beautiful and neat, and you probably hear that here very often. You should become a student of the word to the best of your ability. You should delight in the law of God, which is what David is saying. But David says there's a result of meditating on the law of God. What is that result? 
He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. It's for the person who understands God's word, listens to it, and, and, and reads it, and whether it's a devotion or whatever it may be, the picture is of you as a tree planted next to the river. Your roots go deep, and you're solid, and the wind can't blow it over. And it comes again because of, of this understanding of who God is. In fact, Luther said, said of the Bible that, that the Bible changes sadness into joy, despair into hope, stagnation into growth, childishness into maturity, and failure into success. Meditate on the word. Number four, you have to resist doubt and take every thought captive, as scripture says. There's going to come times in your life where someone's going to say, you can't do this. (laughs) You know what your answer should be? You're right, I can't. But he can. Take the thought captive that you don't allow Satan to mess with you. Guard your eyes, it tells us in Scripture. Guard our heart. Guard even your anointing that God has given you. Guard your marriage, your reputation, your home, your children, your mouth, your spirit, your soul. Guard these things. Ensure that you're thinking only that which is good and beautiful, which scripture says, meditate on that which is good. Don't meditate on that which is bad. That's a real good way to ruin your day, isn't it? Let me give you just a couple more here and we'll close. Number five, encourage one another. Encourage, the word encourage literally means to give strength to someone, to bring life-giving presence into another, to give each other Courage. It's not just to console somebody. It's not to flatter somebody, but to strengthen their heart for the adversity that may be before them. You know, it's not enough time when Brad says, hug your neighbor for you to strengthen your neighbor, but that's still a great opportunity to do so, isn't it? How can, just even if you reach over on Sundays, instead of shaking someone's hand and you introduce yourself to them and you just say, how can I pray for you? I want to be prepared for you. How can I pray for your marriage? How can I pray for your kids? How can I pray for your family? How can I help exhort you and encourage you so that my heart would be soft and I would know that I have a family of believers behind me? Which means we should be praying for each other. More back to that preparedness. But then lastly, here's my last point, and I think it's a really good one. In order to be strengthened in the Lord and to cultivate strength, you have to take your joy in him very seriously. You like how I worded that? Take joy seriously. How many of you know those sourpuss Christians? You know them? I'm born again. Are you? Have you notified your face? (laughs) You might want to tell your face. But I think everything's always on pendulums, right? You get those Christians that are like, the wrath of God is real. You know that, right? And then you get the other ones. They're just like totally dancing all the time, right? Yeah, brother. Woo. Yeah. Jesus loves you. And he's like, ah, go away. <laughs> There's too much, 
right? Because this is why Luther and Calvin both, during their, their time during the Reformation, they were like, no iconic images, no pictures, don't draw anything, don't draw Jesus at all. Because if you draw Jesus happy, you've minimized who he is because he's not always happy. If you draw him sad, he's not always sad. If you, if you draw him one emotion or the other, you're missing out on all the other emotions because Christ is all of these emotions at once. He's all love, all encompassing, all gracious, all understanding, all patient, all long-suffering, even wrathful is a word that is in there for our Savior. He's all of those things. And the reality is for us as Christians, you've heard me say this before, we're constantly moving from a wedding to a memorial. We just had a wedding on, uh, on Friday. That's a time when you dance and you eat. And man, I, that wedding, I, just so you guys know, I don't know if you were there. If you were there, you know this to be true. Best prime rib on the planet, dude. I ate like 10 pieces to the glory of God, man. I'm still doing powerlifting. It was good. Oh man, so good. And when you're at a wedding, the Bible encourages laughter. It encourages friendship and humor. It encourages hugging and singing and and dancing and moving one's body. But then in other times, we have moments of deep repentance and solitude. I think one of the biggest lies the culture has told our young people is that it's never okay to be sad. Yes, it is. One of the shortest verses in all of the Bible is Jesus wept. He's a God of great emotion, and we can be people of great emotion. But one of those emotions that we have to take seriously is the joy of the Lord. Nehemiah 8.10, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He wants you to smile. He wants you to enjoy a good cut of beef. Unless you're a vegetarian, then he wants you to something else. God's happiness, this is what he's saying. God's happiness is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And if you look through scripture, Psalm 1611 says it like this, you make known to me the path of life and in your presence, remember I said part of the, 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 the understanding of the strength is in the presence of God. Listen to what Psalm says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I love this Uh, because it means as Christians, we can do fun stuff. No one told me that when I was in youth group. You giggle, but I wasn't, I didn't know. I thought God was a really serious guy. And if you messed up, man, he was going to strike you dead. And I've come to realize Christ was struck dead on my behalf so that I could have joy in him. And that joy could be strength for me the joy of the fact that i've god's so good even in the midst of hardship friends you can be joy filled god knows what he's doing with israel god knows what he's doing in the gaza strip god knows what he's doing across the globe god knows what he's doing in your life he's not dismayed he's not fearful he faced the cross with courage for the joy set before him he endured the cross My friends, when you leave here, you leave knowing that God cares greatly for you to be strong in a world of great weakness, but he's not asking you to be strong on your behalf. You you need the Lord to be your strength. You have to see he's already done everything that's needed for your salvation. He's done everything that's needed to keep you saved. And now because of that, we cultivate that strength really by remembering who he is. That's why we take communion. 
We, we, we take part of that strength by praying, by encouraging each other. But we also do it by having a good time. That's okay. Don't take life so serious sometimes. And when you need to mourn, you mourn. But let the Lord be your strength. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Second Corinthians 6.10 says, We are always sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Lord, there is a piece of this reality that I pray each of us would kind of understand. It's what we would call the already but not yet. Lord, we are already saved. We are already sanctified. We are already pure. But we're not in heaven, not yet. And so we still experience pain and hardship, cancer, health issues, pandemics, wars. All of these things, Lord, you don't even, even tell us to avoid that topic. You, you tell us there'll be rumors of these things. But Lord, your encouragement in the midst of such a crazy world we live in is that you're with us. And because of your presence, we can be strong strong in you. So Lord, strengthen us as a church. Strengthen our knowledge of the word. Strengthen our love for you. Strengthen our love for one another. Strengthen our resolve as the world grows darker. You'll ask us to shine brighter. So we need the strength that comes from your might, not our own. And we trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, you know we're going to sing in heaven.